Hi, everyone. I'm David Shore. I'm the producer and host of the Panel Show podcast. Thank you uh, for listening to uh, this episode. Just wanted to do a little intro before. It's our first episode of the 876 Studio, and um, we made a few mistakes in setting up the room. Well, it was mostly my fault, so I do apologize. Um, Bane, uh, Paul Constable, who plays Bane, was not mic'd properly, so he's a bit lighter on the sound. And as well, there were what sounds like some wind coming off of my mic. So that will be fixed in the next episode. But Raj, who was editing, did an amazing job of getting rid of most of it. As well, we talk about some of Trump's record in office, and we do touch on the impeachment trial. And now with what's happened, that is all kind of moot, the impeachment stuff. But I left it in because there's some good and funny insights. So it's in there for you to listen to and enjoy. And uh, yeah, here you'll hear me in a second introducing the show again. Hey everyone, welcome to the panel show! Each month we bring together two real journalists and two improvisers in character to talk about real world issues, topics, and events. This episode is being recorded on Tuesday, January 28th, 2020, in front of a live audience here at the fabulous 876 Studio, which is located in the Treaty Bellwoods neighborhood of downtown Toronto. I'm your host, David Shore. Let's meet tonight's panel. First, our journalist. He's a columnist for the Globe and Mail and is also a regular in CBC's at issue. Please welcome Andrew Coyne. Yeah. And he's the Queen's Park, a.k.a. Provincial Parliament Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Please welcome Robert Benzie. All right. And tonight's improvisers are appearing as she's the matriarch from the animated series Bob's Burgers. Please welcome the completely fake Linda Belcher. <laughs> okay. And he is a supervillain and nemesis of Batman. Please welcome the totally not real Bane. Mr. Shaw. Good to see you. It's good to have you back, Ben. I have Thank to say. Thank you. Good to have I you have back. to say, I got here by TTC. It really is the better way. <laughs> Most people would disagree, but we'll, <laughs> that's for another show. Um, this episode of the Panel Show Podcast is brought to you by the Vowels, A-E-I-O-N-U, but not Y. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, panel. Good to see you all. Let's go to our first topic, which is in the USA. The presidential primaries are about to kick off, and in an unprecedented move, the New York Times editorial board has endorsed not one, but two Democrats, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. So, uh, panel, the New York Times editorial board carries a lot of weight with a lot of people. Is it right for them to endorse two different candidates? Um, Andrew Quinn, why don't we start with you? I don't see any reason they can't for all that endorsements are actually worth. Um, you know, having written my share of them, uh, the degree to which they actually influence anybody's vote can be mm -hmm. debated. I nevertheless defend them. I think it's useful. It, it will help somebody somewhere at the margin to make up their mind. Um, whether it's useful to, to endorse two candidates is another question. Uh, frankly, I think what a lot of Democratic voters are mostly interested in, what a lot of non-Democratic voters are mostly interested in, is who can beat Trump. Right. Uh, I'm usually not a single-issue voter that way, but this time, if I were a Democrat in the States, that the only thing I would want to know is, is who can beat Trump. My guess is that Klobuchar would have a better chance than Warren. Warren mm -hmm. sets hearts aflutter within the Democratic Party. Uh, I'm not so sure she'd be able to appeal to those kind of centrist voters in the, you know, the industrial Midwest that were the ones that tipped things in favor of Trump last time. Uh, fake Linda Belcher, what are your thoughts? I always say the two is better than one. <laughs> you know, hey. <laughs> you know, those, those guys 
girls, you know, they uh, they like to drink, they like to party. Then <laughs> come on over to Bob's Burgers. Hey, we'll have a good time, you know. <laughs> Where my single ladies at? Are they single? I don't even know. <laughs> I, I'm a supporter of all ladies in all positions. <laughs> Top, bottom, up, down, left, right. <laughs> all right. Robert Benzie, what are, you, what are your thoughts? Is it right for them to endorse two candidates? I, you know, I'm, I agree with Andrew, like, for what... For what it's worth, newspaper endorsements are a quaint curio, and I like them as a reader, but as a journalist, I've always found them to, to be sort of relatively meaningless. Uh, I thought it was a bit of a cop-out on the New York Times mm. part to just pick one. Um, I don't think either of those two senators are going to be on the ticket, regardless of, oh, really? of, of who wins. Uh, I, don't think that, I don't think either of them are going to win, and I don't think that whoever does win probably Joe Biden, if I were betting right now, uh, would pick them as a running mate because I don't think they help you electorally. The Democrats are going to win Minnesota and they're going to win Massachusetts regardless of who they uh, is, on, is, is uh, on the top of the ticket. So I don't think you need to have either of those two senators on the as the vice presidential candidate. Having said that, I thought if the New York Times wanted to be really bold, they could have they could have gone in a different direction. I thought it was mm -hmm. it was it was interesting kind of cop out, but not necessarily a, a game changer. Bain, what do you think about all this? My counterpart here makes a valid point in the fact that playing it too safe leads to playing it too safe. I think <laughs> you need to take a risk, which is what I... I mean, when I first came to America and started causing crap, it's because I had said at the time it was out of control. Little did I know that Trump would make me long for the days <laughs> of 2016. Um, I want to touch on... Uh, I mean, Andrew, you said uh, uh, for you it's basically who's going to beat Trump, and, and and Robert, you said, I think it was you that said you think it would be Biden, or was that you, Andrew? If it's, if it's beating Trump is who you want, I mean, the safest choice yeah. is Biden, even though Biden has is a train wreck in other ways, mm -hmm. but measure him against who he's running, who, mm -hmm. who is at the top of the GOP ticket, and right now it's Trump, but by the time the election runs around, it could be Mike, Mike Pence for all we know. We mm -hmm. don't know what's right. going to happen in the Senate. It's true, anything could happen. Well, the truth is, I mean, we could have... Um, Nancy Pelosi is president in a couple of weeks. If if if, if, if Mike unravel, Pence also gets things, things unravel. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the other wild card is it's not, and I know the press always speculates over this every four years, but this time I think there's a real possibility you could have a brokered convention. Mm -hmm. mm. And if you go to that where nobody's got a majority going to the convention, right. all bets are off. Oh, I love conventions. <laughs> you always get free stuff. Swag is always good at a convention. You always get free stuff, you know? I like the ones that had the open bar. The t-shirts are usually uh, too small for me, so I give them to my children. Bane, who would you, if you were uh, voting in the prime, Democratic primaries, who would you be supporting? Who do you, who do you think has the best chance to be Trump, but who, and who would be your choice? I, would all, I, I don't think anyone could beat Trump except Trump himself, and he's been trying for three years to beat himself, <laughs> and he keeps winning. I don't think anyone can beat him, and then it sounds like when he's gone, it's Son is gonna run. It could be decades of Trump. <laughs> Linda, what do you think? You know, I love that Bernie Saunders. He looks just—he looks just <laughs> like my landlord, Mr. Fishoda. You know, the hair and everything. And he's always so nice on when we're late for the rent. You know, so I think that he'd be nice because you know, when I'm late for the rent, like always, you know, I think he'd be okay. And you know, we just get him high anyway. I make good brownies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's on that note, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, sticking uh, with America, this past week, the Trump administration rolled back federal protection on millions of miles of streams and roughly half of America's wetlands. It's the largest rollback of the Clean Water Act since the law was passed in 1972, and it goes far beyond just overturning the regulations that were added during the Obama administration, as it erases protections that have been in place for decades. 
The deregulation is a big win for the agriculture, home building, mining, and oil and gas industries, who've been seeking to minimize the scope of the act for decades. Previously under the act, they were required to obtain permits to discharge pollution into waterways or to fill in wetlands. As well, they faced fines for oil spills into any protected waterways. So, panel, is it right for a government to put the short-term needs of business ahead of the long-term protection of something as vital as clean water? Uh, Bain, why don't we start with you? Of course it's not right, but that doesn't mean they're not going to do it for centuries. They've always been doing what's wrong in their own self-interest. The only good thing about this is my crimes, which used to, you know, shake a nation <laughs> to its knees, seem like shoplifting these days. Do you know that I gassed an entire hospital and it didn't make front page news anywhere? <laughs> Hard to crack the news these days. It's tough. It's when tough. you can't read about yourself, why pick up a paper? It's true, very true, very true. Robert Benzi, what, what are your thoughts? I, yeah, I, when this story broke, it's uh, sometimes you read a news story and it sounds like it's something from The Onion. Yeah. And it, because yeah. it's so absurd and it's like, the administration is doing everything possible to be as wrong-headed as possible, whether it's on climate change mm -hmm. or, 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 or things like this, permitting fracking, all these other kinds of environmental issues. You start to really wonder uh, when it will hurt them politically. It is a crazy, crazy situation. And remember, it was a Republican president, Richard Nixon, that, yeah. that put this into place. And, and, yeah. and then the Congress at that time, which was democratically controlled, but it was, you know, it was, it, it, it was a time when they were looking at more environmental protections. The mm -hmm. EPA was created in yeah. that era. Andrew Coyne, what do you think? Well, I have a sort of bit of cognitive dissonance because I'm, you know, I'm used to hearing governments being accused of all kinds of terrible things. And mm -hmm. usually it's exaggeration. Yeah. Usually, if you, you you know, if you take one line of an environmental legislation that might indeed have been regulatory overkill, people scream blue murder, and you kind of look at it and you go, actually, it's not that bad. With the Trump administration, yeah, it always is. It's, it's generally worse than people are saying. Yeah, because there's a particular dynamic here, and this is this is part and parcel of this whole uh, anti expertise, anti knowledge, anti uh, uh, experience uh, that's part of this populist drive in the United States, where Trump, and this is documented, will will say and do the exact opposite of whatever the experts recommend mm -hmm. because the experts recommended it. Yeah. And what the hell do experts know? Well, and apparently uh, with this uh, rollback, his own EPA experts yeah. are against it. Kiss they, death. They, what they, they should have done, a little child psychology, is they should have said, now, Donald, what we really want you to do is to loosen the regulations on water. And then mm -hmm. he would have tightened them. Oh, yeah. kiss of death sounds sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I can perform that on you later if you'd like. Oh, I have to tell Bobby. You do need to sign a very thick document first, though. <laughs> oh, thick. Oh, <laughs> where's my box of wine? <laughs> All right. Now, um, you know, I was doing a little bit of reading uh, about Trump and his environmental record, and I, and I you know, it's it's it is really shocking as as all of you were saying and i thought given trump's continuous gutting of government regulations meant to protect not just the environment but people what do you think his legacy will be uh robert why don't we start with you i think that uh maybe two years from now or or five years from now you will be hard pressed at finding anyone who will in the united states will have admitted to have voted for him mm. and i think that if he doesn't totally wreck the uh, the Republican Party uh, with this trial, this impeachment trial, um, I think that it'll be one of these situations 10 years from now, it'll be an aberration and he'll be seen as a historical anom anomaly. 
but mm-hmm. his short-term legacy is he's been really good for the New York Times and the Washington Post circulation. Mm-hmm. So I like that as a newspaper man. It's true. I subscribe to the Post because of that. There you <laughs> go. Many do. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. Uh, Linda, what do you think? I can see it now. Trump, the musical, an off-off Broadway <laughs> review. We'll do matinee shows in the diner here during the days, and on weekends we'll do the evening shows. And uh, you know, it'll probably be me as Trump. I will, I will be playing the lead character. But uh, you know, maybe I can host auditions uh, if anyone's interested. All right, we'll keep that in mind. For some reason, I think there already was like a Friends show, Trump the Musical, but I could be wrong. Uh, Andrew, what do you think? Well, the hell of it is, you know, whatever environmental damage he causes will probably be the least of the of the damage he does do. Mm. Uh, I worry, I have to say, because I think the worst thing he's done is kind of to, to base everybody's standards. He's kind of, we've all kind of marked him on a curve of his own making that, well, you know, that was completely crazy and insane, but it wasn't quite as crazy and as insane as the thing he did on Tuesday, uh, so this is actually a pretty good day, you know? Like, mm-hmm. we, we've all just kind of absorbed this daily onslaught of craziness of any one of which would have sunk any previous presidency, and he gets this kind of volume discount. So I worry, maybe to take slight difference from, from Rob, that I hope it's the case that this is viewed as an aberration and things kind of get back to normal. Mm-hmm. My worry is we just permanently mark our standards down and something like this behavior becomes more and more prevalent in, in American politics and politics around the world. And that's that's a truly frightening. Process. I mean, Bain, all of this has made you, I mean, you're on talk shows now. I mean, this has made yes, you really well. acceptable. So, <laughs> so it's the reason. There's an agent of chaos. Excited. I now have an agent. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think will be Trump's legacy? I think people think he's going to disappear after this, that it's, he'll be done, but you're going to hear him more than ever before. He's like that uncle when you're trying to watch sports and he starts the game and says, that guy's not going to score. <laughs> and if he doesn't score, he'll say, I told you he wouldn't. But if he does, he'll say, well, that goalie drank some beer earlier. There'll always be an excuse. He's never wrong. He's not going to disappear. It's true. His legacy will, he will, his ghost will probably annoy generations for years and years to come. Oh, ghost. I, I believe in ghosts. Oh. I, I seen one. What did it look like? Bane. It looked like me. Yeah, well, was that you last night? Yes, we should talk. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, let's talk about their royal highnesses, or should I say former royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, a.k.a. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, as they have taken an unprecedented step back from being senior members of the royal family. The move has generated a lot of press, both positive and negative. Um, now, here are two audio clips with Harry addressing the step back for the first time publicly at a charity event in London. This is taken from the Royal Sussex's own Instagram account. Once Meghan and I were married, we were excited, we were hopeful, and we were here to serve. For those reasons, it brings me great sadness that it has come to this. The decision that I have made for my wife and I to step back is not one I made lightly. It was so many months of talks after so many years of challenges. And I know I haven't always gone it right, but as far as this goes, there really was no other option. I was born into this life, and it is a great honour to serve my country and the Queen. When I lost my mum 23 years ago, you took me under your wing. You looked out for me for so long, but the media is a powerful force. And my hope is one day our collective support for each other can be more powerful because this is so much bigger than just us. 
At present, Harry is sixth in line for the throne, so it's pretty safe to say he's never going to be king. So why shouldn't he, his wife, and their family live their best lives? Now, Canada plays a big role in this step back, as Harry and Meghan seem to be planning to spend half of the year in Canada, and that's what I'd like to talk about, panel. Overall, do you think this will be good for Canada? I mean, I read an article uh, yesterday online where a marketing expert said that all the online publicity for Canada was worth $28 million which seems to me, I don't know how that really translate into like real money, but it, it's out there. Um, Bane, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts? Well, I just want to say that remember Prince Harry was the, the one who dressed up as a Nazi for Halloween and ran yeah. naked through a Las Vegas hotel room. Yeah. And he's now seen as the smart one of the royal family, <laughs> which I think says more about the royal family than we wanted to. But in terms of him coming to Canada, you know when he appears at the first Tim Hortons, people are going to lose their shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, why don't you, what, what do you think? This is good for Canada? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, it, you know, it, 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 I think it gives us enormous cachet. Uh, I think it's Scott Gilmore was writing in McLean's the other day that, you know, they could have chosen anywhere on earth mm. uh, to go. And, and, and if they'd held a contest, you know, which country should we go to, there would have been countries applying from all over the world. So I think it looks good on us that they chose us. And I think it's going to, uh, you know, the, the traditional opening line of every last story about Canada in the British press in particular is, you know, about how boring we are. Hmm. So maybe that will take some of that out of, out of, out of circulation. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I lived in the UK for seven years and, you know, just moved back a few years ago. And when I initially moved there uh, and, and people found out I was Canadian, the first question was, why would you ever move here? Oh, I heard that all the, why would you ever, and they, I want to move to Canada. And I said, have you ever been there in the winter? You know, because uh, they complain about their their, their weather, and, and after living there, they really have nothing. They have no idea. They have nothing to complain about. Uh, Linda, what do you think? Is this oh, good for Canada? Oh, oh, I love Megan, and I love the royal family, but you know what? I got to say, when it comes to family, family comes first, and you know what? Megan can just, you know, sit in syrup, you know, let the bees get her. That's all I'll say. You know, I mean, well, yeah, good for the economy, good for the family is what I, you know, family first. What about grandma, huh? I'll be a grandma one day. Huh? What, my kids are just gonna go and leave me? <laughs> they will. They will. It happens to everybody. Robert, what do you think? Is this good for Canada overall? Yeah, I think it's fine for Canada. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Canadians are not as obsessed with this as uh, Brits are. I, I read the British papers every day and you would think that if you read the Telegraph and the Daily Mail that this is the greatest crisis facing the United Kingdom yeah. when the sixth in line to the throne is is departing for the Dominion of Canada for six months of the year. Um, you know, we have Brexit happening even as we speak, mm -hmm. which is the biggest man-made disaster uh, in in a generation or a generation in, in the United Kingdom, so I think that, that maybe this has been a good distraction for the for the red tops, uh, the Fleet Street tabloids, and the and the and the uh, the more broadsheets uh, like the well, like Telegraph and the Times and and so on. But I th I'm, I I still think that it's it's such a non-event in Canada. I'm heartened mm -hmm. by that. I mean, because sometimes we can be so. Oh, well, there's an article in the New York Times about Toronto. Everyone gets all excited about it, and we're kind of finally getting a little bit more worldly and above mm -hmm. that sort of uh, tr trivial obsession. It's funny because I don't, I don't see Canada in that way anymore. But maybe because I lived abroad for for quite a while. But uh, let's. I want to touch on you know you mentioned about the coverage in the in the British press and and the 
press there is brutal. I remember when I moved there, Andrew, I remember I emailed you saying, I can't find a paper that just gives me the news. It is so biased. The Guardian, and that's the best one. The Guard, I like The Guardian, but they're, even they are left, you know, they have an obvious left-leaning left leaning bit, which I don't have an issue with, but some of their articles, I'm like, all right, enough already. But do you think it'll change things here? Like, there's already an encampment of paparazzi, like, like I think across the street from the house they're staying at, the, the place they rented out in BC. Do you think the former royals living in Canada part-time will cause a change in the Canadian media? Andrew, why don't we start with you? I don't think so long-term. I think in the short term, there's the novelty of it, and there'll be a lot of fascination with mm -hmm. where are they going next. I suspect after time that will wear off. I hope for their sake, frankly, because I think they'd like to be out of the limelight to a great extent. And I think everyone will just adjust to it. I don't think it'll be that big, de big a deal after a while. Linda, what are your thoughts? Oh, look at her. She's gorgeous. Look at her hair. Look at her nails. Come on, look at her skin. I mean, Trump ain't got nothing on her when it comes to looks, you know? And I think <laughs> I think that when it comes down to it, you know, I think she's going to make major effects in Canada. I mean, it's the Markle effect, everybody. Look at the necklace. Oh, it's shiny. I want one. It's true. I read, I about, the, I read about the Markle effect today. It's so, so beautiful. She's, got, she's yeah. got all the looks and everything. You know, I, I follow her. I follow her. I, I get my nails done like her. Robert, would you get your nails done like her? <laughs> it's it's where she lived in Toronto for what five years. I'm More, she did. She shot right suits now. here yeah. for for what six or seven years. I'm not sure. Like she did. And I don't yeah. think I ever bumped into her. Although she crashed a friend of mine's dinner party once. He, actually, Peter Scallons. She was at Scallons. Name dropped. Yeah, name dropped. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but yeah. It, and and she was charming apparently. So do you uh, think it'll have any effect on the Canadian press? Though? Like, like we'll, no, not no? at all. No, I, right. I, I mean, we. Prince used to live in Toronto. Remember the rock star, the late yep. rock star, Purple Rain? He yep. lived in Toronto. No one ever wrote about that. Elton John has a place on the outskirts of the city. You never hear about that. Mm -hmm. People, I mean, we have other things to write about. One of the big topics with them possibly living here half a year is who's going to pay for the security? And it's become an issue, and, and should Canadians have to foot the bill? Bane, what do you think about that? Uh, I always look to the Hells Angels first for security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's family can be quite, you know, threatening at first, but once you get to know them, they're, they're quite good people. Just make sure the pool cues are well locked up. Do you, oh, think, uh, do you think the Stones would recommend them? Oh, 100%. 100%. As Mick Dagger said, the only two people at a bad time at that concert was the guy who was killed and him. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too soon? Too, too soon. soon. Sorry. <laughs> 1969. That that stomping you hear is Andrew Coyne stomping his beer because he's laughing. <laughs> so, uh, Robert Benzie, what do you think? Is it an issue about who's going to pay for the security? Uh, I don't think so because at the end of the day, how much is it going to cost? A couple hundred thousand dollars? Well, I read it'd be about like a mil almost two million dollars for the security. Well, I mean, I think that if if they're bringing in what did you say, twenty nine million or twenty eight million dollars in tourism revenue? But it wasn't tourism <laughs> revenue; it was like advertising, advertising revenue. Because I'm like money well spent. When, then, when I when I lived in London, people wanted to go see Buckingham yeah. Palace, and that definitely brings in tourism money. But no one's going to come to Canada. To go look, maybe five people will come to try and see the royals. Because, like, where are you going to see We already them? pay for security for the governor general and all the lieutenants governor mm -hmm. uh, across the country. So I, I'm not sure that this is a... Well, it has issue. been floated that Harry, maybe Harry should become the next governor general. Well, there's a well, there's a lieutenant governor's job open at Queen's Park. I mean, the, uh, Elizabeth Dadaswell is, is, is up, so Harry could have that job. I've always been of the view that Harry should come over and start a new wing of the dynasty here. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, he'd have children, they'd have children here, and that right. they would grow up and be the king and queen of Canada. All right, well, let's, let's move on to our next topic. 
The fact that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau grew a beard over the holidays is big news. Now, initially, I, you know, I emailed everyone in the panel, uh, you know, here's a list of some of the topics we're going to talk about, and I said, we're probably not going to talk about Trudeau's beard. But then literally yesterday, I was at my uh, pharmacy talking to my pharmacist, and I mentioned to him that the podcast is online, and I told him, you know, it's a political podcast, and it's funny. And he goes, oh, politics. He goes, what do you think of Trudeau's beard? And I thought, you're kidding me. This is the first thing you asked me is Trudeau's beard. I personally don't care that the Prime Minister grew a beard, but apparently Canadians do. So, panel, why is this news? Linda, let's start with you. I mean, is a beard nonsense or is it mom sense? And I say it's mom sense, because I, for one, care about beards. I care about facial hair very much. You know, that, that stuff's very important to me. You know, when you're getting in there and you're smooching around, it, that's, got, that's got to feel pretty nice. You know, it's like a soft hug from a cloud. You know, it's like it's like a warm little embrace when you're cold. That's important in Canada. That's probably why I grew it. Oh, it's saving money. Oh, it doesn't even need a scarf no more. He's just a smart man. <laughs> Andrew, does it make any difference? Will it have any effect on the prime minister's... Oh, I think it probably already has. Look, yeah. nobody in politics does anything like that casually. And mm -hmm. this prime minister, least of all, he's extremely <laughs> image conscious. Mm -hmm. he, I, you know, and he and his people around him, uh, maybe it originated as just some kind of vacation thing, I don't know. Mm. But I think he may well think this makes him look more serious, more reflective, less uh, less the, the sort of, you know, the first term prime minister of kind of in a youthful sunny ways and now he's more yeah. reflective it's, i don't know but i think uh, i don't think it was accidental the fact that the fact that he's kept it ever since the vacation i think signals that so if it's intended to have that effect if it's intended to make people look at him differently then of course it's worth discussing because that's mm. what half of politics is is image and and symbolism and this kind of thing bane what do you think about the Prime Minister's beard. I think you buried the lead when you said you got in a conversation with your pharmacist. Who <laughs> <laughs> talks to their pharmacist beyond give me the green pills and what, what's the government covering in this piece of crap? Well, I've, Bane, if you if you if we go out for lunch, I'll tell you about all the surgeries I've had of last couple years. I, 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 I know I know my pharmacist. I understand. You know? I, I think that uh, what Andrew said is this is Trudeau 2.0. He's right. trying a, a new look so that if uh, I mean we used to complain when he was not wearing a shirt. Now he's putting more <laughs> things on his body and we're complaining. And this next line will probably be cut, but it's it's hard to do blackface in a beard. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could keep that in. I think that it's, I think it's valid. I think it's a valid point. I think that could be the whole reason right there. Why is it's, it's a good point. Robert Benzi, hard to follow that, but what you do you think? based on my line. But it is, Andrew's right. The, yeah. Remember, how this was first unveiled was when uh, Adam Scotty, his official photographer, put an Instagram right. post. It wasn't so. like it was snapped by a friend and posted that way. It was, right. it's part of an image uh, reboot, and I think it has been successful, frankly, because he looks more serious. He doesn't, uh, it doesn't make him look as... It's physically glib, right? Um, and I think uh, they know what they're doing. It, <laughs> at least it comes when it comes to his image. And it, but not <laughs> to be too too cynical, but it arrived at the same time or shortly before the downing of the airliner with 57 Canadians aboard. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, he was it was perfect. He looked sorrowful, and I'm sure he was genuinely sorrowful. But it was also, you know, everything in politics is performative. You can mm -hmm. never get away from that. They can never be truly spontaneous and sincere and in the moment because they know that their whole government rides on it. It's interesting because the pharmacist, my pharmacist said to me, 
well, you know, he grew the beard because of the air tragedy. I said, no, he had the beard already. Yeah. I said, I know one guy who can grow a beard in a day. <laughs> the guy I went to high, I'm not going to say his name, but a guy I went to high school with who had five o'clock shadow at 8.15 in the morning, right? So it's interesting that my pharmacist thought that. I'm sure other people think he grew it, like, right. just for but that. But you have to think, yeah. in their minds, the conversation went like this. The plane crashed, and they came in the room and said, Justin, how quick can you grow a beard? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Fair point. It's a fair point, babe. Well, that's what the Canadian public thinks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the rhetoric is getting bad. Like, you know, I, I made the mistake of looking on Twitter before coming to the show to take a break, and it's like, you can't take a break after you read Twitter. Never do that. Never I'm do never going to do that again. All right, let's move on to our next topic. We're going to keep it in Canada, and we're going to turn to Ontario, where there have been more teacher strike this past week, and there seems to be little movement between the Ford government and the teachers' unions. Uh, the teachers are asking for the government to cancel the mandatory two online courses required for high school students, reduce classroom sizes to their previous levels, keep all-day kindergarten, and for a wage increase of 2% to keep on pace with the cost of living. But Premier Doug Ford and his government have dug in their heels with a TV and social media blitz where they claim that the teachers' salary demands are unreasonable. The government completely ignores all the other issues in its press releases and media appearances and continues to push the narrative that the teachers are being financially greedy. The government also accuses the teachers of walking out on their students. Now, with 57% of the public siding with the teachers, Premier Ford and Education Minister Stephen Lecce have started to change their tactics. Minister Lecce announced that the province will reimburse parents to pay for daycare or childcare on days when their schools are on strike. Here's a clip of Minister Lecce making the announcement at a press conference at Queen's Park, taken from Canada Press. We recognize the impact of union escalation on families is real, and unions expect hardworking families to bear the costs of these cyclical labor action. So today I'm announcing our government's plan to offer parents up to $60 per day to offset the cost for childcare if strikes action closed schools or school-based child care centers. Minister Lanchet stated that the government would pay up to $48 million per strike day to parents. Along with this, the government appears to be shifting the blame of the strike away from the teachers and onto their union heads. Here's a clip of Premier Ford taking a Q&A outside his Queen's Park office taken from CTV. You know something? We can't have rules for, for the heads of the unions that represent the teachers and rules for everyone else in the province. And uh, again, we're, we're going to do everything we can to make sure the, the students have a safe uh, environment to go to school. Uh, the parents don't have the pressure, the uncertainty. And uh, one, one parent I, I saw yesterday said, you know, the teachers are, are holding, holding us hostage. Um, and that's, uh, now you're, let me repeat that, the unions, head of the unions are holding the parents hostage, not the teachers. Now, I find that last part really interesting where the premier corrects himself. Now, Robert, you're the star's Queen's Park viewer chief. Were you there? Were you at that Q&A? Yeah, yeah. So what... Is that you coughing on that? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Somebody was definitely coughing. What, what were, were the people in the press pool talking about that after, about the correction? Like, what was the... Was there anyone, any discussion? Do you think it was a genuine correction or were people not buying it? I think he, like all politicians, he has his talking points that he... Is, knows he's going to say, and mm -hmm. he was correcting himself. He doesn't. He, he's careful not to attack the frontline teachers because there's you know tens of thousands of them, mm -hmm. and it's much more um, uh, politically useful to attack the four union leaders of the four different unions. Well, I've noticed that's a recent change. Like Lecce's been online every day 
on the press every day, online every day, you know, teachers are abandoning their students, teachers need to be in class with their students, and now it seems this has been a real change in narrative directed towards the union. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's it's something that they uh, that they feel that will work for them right now. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's very difficult for any political party, whether it's the conservatives or the liberals or the New Democrats in power at Queens Park, mm -hmm. to uh, to beat the unions, quote unquote, uh, when it comes to something like this, because an education strike is a debilitating thing for mm -hmm. families, and I think. Uh, will be very costly politically for the for the for Ford's government in 2022 in the re-election. I want to get to another clip before I get to the rest of the panel. Here's a, another clip of Ford. This was taken from a press conference in Mississauga uh, just a few days ago on January 24th, and this was pulled from the Premier's YouTube channel. The Premier was just asked if he's willing to budge from the 1% wage increase that he's offered. I'm trying to be fair with, with these people. And that's what I look at every negotiation. We've struck so many great deals throughout the province, and it's the same union that has fought with every government, every premier for 30 years. And people see it, and they're, I'll be frank, they're, they're getting fed up. Not with the teachers, but the head of the unions. And I'll be very frank, a lot of teachers are fed up with the unions. And when I talked to them, they said, oh, we're terrified of our unions. you got to be kidding me. You're terrified? I hear it over and over and over again that the teachers want to put this behind us. They're happy in the classroom and teach your kids. Now, I find interesting at the end of that clip is when the Premier says that teachers are telling him that they are scared of their union. So I, I you know, I went online, I did some research, and 95.5% of high school teachers voted to strike. 92% of education workers voted to strike. Now, I remember, and you can Google it, when Doug Ford was a city councillor here in Toronto, there would be a guy who would stand behind him when he gave interviews that held up a sign that literally read, Doug, that's not true. Right? So, you can look it up, it's, it's still online, right? So, panel, do you think the Premier's statement that teachers are, are telling him that they're scared of the union holds any water? And what about parents telling him that they're mad at the union? You know, or is just just, you know, him, him trying to, to, to force the issue? Uh, Bain, why don't we start with you? Well, if you, as you said, if 95% of the teachers are in favor of strike, he goes to the 5% that say, no, we're not in favor. And I gotta say something off, mm. off topic. And Doug Ford has stolen the Bain tactic of negotiations. <laughs> what you basically do is present a nightmare scenario, and then you pull back a little bit so that the second option seems a bit better. For example, I once threatened to drop three nuclear missiles on the United States, which was met with a lot of backlash. <laughs> so I negotiated it down to one and still didn't get away with it. Doesn't one nuclear missile sound better than three, Mr. Shore? I would say it does. Five percent would agree. <laughs> the other 95 said, we don't want a nuclear missile. <laughs> Andrew, what do you think? Do you think um, well, that particular statement was obviously torqued, but I, I think there it is true at lots of times in, in, in the cycle that there are teachers who are not particularly pleased with the union. Mm -hmm. that they see it as being a not particularly creative force. It tends to produce a lot of uniformity. Teachers like to teach in a different way, or you know, force back in the line, etc. The trouble is, whenever you get into one of these fights, everyone closes ranks. And mm -hmm. the governments get a little too greedy in that respect. They think they can drive a wedge between the unions and the teachers for the reason I'm saying. Yeah. But when you get into the sort of heat of battle, what we've seen time and time again is teachers look at it and go, you're not attacking the union, you're attacking me. 
Yeah. So they kind of close ranks. And I, you'd think the governments eventually would figure out this is not a winning strategy for them. But it's a problem because, you know, I don't have a lot of time for this government, but I don't have a lot of time for the fact that we have teachers going on strike virtually every year for the last 20 or 30 years. And, you know, the disruption that's caused in the school system. And as Rob said, they're extremely powerful. Nobody wants to take them on. But I'm not sure that's necessarily a particularly satisfactory state of affairs. Rob, is that accurate? Because I've read, like, I like I lived abroad for quite a while. How often have there been teacher strikes in Ontario? Because I think, there, wasn't they, the last big action I mean, when Harris... I mean, yeah. somewhere. <laughs> no, but, no, but I... Like Ford over here. <laughs> no, but that's something that Stephen... Like Stephen Lutch has been pushing that narrative. That it's there's a, always it's, strikes. It's, and it's a... Uh, useful narrative for the government to embrace yeah. because yes when Bob Ray was the NDP premier of Ontario the unions were mad at him mm -hmm. when Dalton McGuinty who gave the unions everything they wanted for years mm -hmm. was the liberal premier they were mad at him now they're mad at, at Mr. Ford right. but this is the most um, uh, this is the biggest uh, uh, display of, uh, of uh, anti-government union solidarity that we've seen since 1997 because mm -hmm. all four major unions are in legal strike position and are taking strike action as we record this tonight. And oh, the public yeah. is really on their side. They are for now, now yeah. but yeah. but the only mm -hmm. polls we've seen have been commissioned by the union. The government's okay. own private polling has not been made public, but I've been told that on some uh, points people do agree with the union, mm -hmm. the class sizes, yeah. and on e-learning, the mm -hmm. uh, computerized courses, but on in terms of the wage settlement, yeah. more people agree with the government, saying that 1% should be good enough. Why, If you want 2%, just settle for 1%. And you can see that the government talks about wages and the union talks about class sizes. But you can also see in the body language of the union that they're they're being very cautious about this. They're starting with, you know, working to rule, rotating yep. strikes, because I think they know it's in play. If they overplay their hand, the public could tip against them. I, I think it's interesting that it, it appears, from what I've been reading, the union keeps saying, we're waiting at the table, why won't you come to the table? And that no one has come to the table. Maybe they're at the, the wrong table. Maybe they're <laughs> having a line. <laughs> by, by the way, on my way over here, there was a headline saying yeah, that the, the elementary the school teachers are they're going to go back to negotiations. So. Okay. Well, that's, that's some progress. But, yeah. but if they don't get a deal by Friday, then there will be strike action next week. So right. it could, I mean, and if the sides are far apart at the table, then it will not be a very friendly table, Bane. I've heard oh. plenty of those at the. Legion of Doom. <laughs> you try sitting next to the Joker one side, Lex Luthor on the other. You better watch your chip tray is all I'm saying. <laughs> Linda, what do you think? You've got three young kids. What do you think about? I mean, I'm so mad I could just stomp. I could stomp my foot. I could stomp both feet, you know? Three kids going on strike. You, I, I, gotta, I gotta serve those tables. I gotta serve those burgers. You think that what? You think that those kids are just gonna gonna just say whatever I want? I mean, they do most times, but not always. You know, I think uh, I'm a big fan of strikes. I'm a big fan of uh, picketing signs. I'm a big fan of glitter glue. I'm a big fan of different <laughs> construction boards. And uh, all I gotta say is, you wanna come over to Bob's Burgers, and I will make the signs, and we will all protest together. You know, one, two, three, four. Who's a rotten burger, Ford? You know. <laughs> well, let's move on to a related topic. Uh, staying in Ontario and staying with your chant, actually, uh, uh, there, Linda. Um, over the holidays, I was out with some of my family, and my cousin and I were having a conversation about all the, the, the cuts the four governors done since coming into office. Um, I mean, you know, he didn't run on any of, of, of this, uh, uh, the things he said he was going to do. Um, and I, I said to my cousin, can you think of one positive thing that the Ontario government has done since coming to power 
to benefit the poor or the working poor. And my cousin thought, and I thought, he couldn't think of one thing. I couldn't think of one thing. I went home the next, you know, and the next day I put it on Twitter and I put it on Facebook. And I said, serious answers, please. And I got no answers from anybody as to what something positive for the poor, the working poor done by this government. Doug Ford ran with the slogan of being for the people. Can you name me, can you think of one thing that the government has done to help the poor, the working poor in Ontario? Um, I mean, Robert, you know, you're Queen's Park Bureau Chief. If anyone's going to know, it's going to be you, I would think. Well, Is there they, something I mean, that did it? It's funny you should mention it. It speaks to the problems the government's had in communi communicating their message. Yeah. Because the cornerstone of the last budget in, in, in 2019 was this, it's called the LIFT tax credit, the Low Income Families uh, Tax Credit. I think they added the word family so they could use the word LIFT. But the tax credit, a, people a, are worse off not getting the raise to $15 Well, if you're 14. a minimum wage earner, yeah. yeah, you would have gotten, because they froze the minimum wage at $14, yeah. it was supposed to go up to $15. But... Yeah. In, in fairness, it is you pay lower you pay uh, lower tax than you would have separate from the minimum wage, thanks to this lift mm -hmm. uh, tax credit. Unfortunately for the government, it doesn't seem to have helped them in in the polls. Uh, and also, they also, of course, lowered the uh, floor price of beer so that you can legally <laughs> buy a beer for a dollar. But that didn't uh, last. Right? It still didn't happen. No, no, it, like, it, it, still it's still allowed. Yeah, it's still allowed. But, but no one's doing it. Beer, it's not you know? profitable. It's not right. profitable for the breweries. To I'm going to open up to the panel. Can anyone think of anything? Uh, well, I think Ford's yeah. playing the long game. Think of it this way. Mm -hmm. he's, he's not a fan of uh, uh, going against climate change, which, of course, warms the earth. Yeah. So in 50, 60 years, the homeless will enjoy the streets of Toronto. It'll be a nice balmy 15 degrees in February. I've lost the room. Know <laughs> when to quit. Know <laughs> when to quit. It's true. All right. Well, let's, you know, let's... The answer ask. is no one can. <laughs> no one can. Well, they, yeah, and they, they, yeah. the same budget also had a 75% child care expense credit. So there are mm -hmm. things here and there. I don't think, you know, you can... You can say that a government is generally bad without saying it's universally and uniformly and 100 percent bad. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of the measures were better considered than others. I particularly like the low-income tax credit because you get that whether or not. Like the trouble with the minimum wage thing is if you don't if you don't have a job to earn it, and then mm -hmm. you don't get any benefit from it. Right. And you basically, you know, the theory behind the minimum wage is we can somehow force employers to pay the thing, but we can't force it to if they don't hire the people in the first place. What you can do is you can take, you know, tax people and then give it to people on low income, which mm -hmm. is the idea behind the low income tax credit. And that seems to be a much better and more effective way of, of benefiting people on low income. Well, actually, there is literally no proof that lowering tax, like lowering, you know, the richest taxes and trickle down economics works. But there is lots of proof that if you give people a living wage, it generates more business for everybody because money trickles up. Sure. Poor people with money in their pockets spend it. I believe it was in, in Seattle or Washington State where they put in a minimum wage and small business owners were freaking out. I'm going to go out of business. And I remember reading an article and it was about a guy that owned a motel and a guy that owned, I believe it was a dry cleaner. And within a year, they both expanded. Yeah. There's you know? lots so, of arguments for putting a floor on minimum incomes. Right. There's a difference, I think, between minimum incomes and minimum wages. Right. So the difference is who pays. Does yeah. the taxpayer pay or does, in theory, the business pay? Mm -hmm. if, if the business, if there were no repercussions, if there were nobody lost their jobs as a result of it, then that's fine. But there's a lot of data on both sides. It's a complicated argument. But yeah. I don't think anybody maintains, maintains that there's no job losses from the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the minimum tax credit with, you know, or minimum income guarantee, nobody loses the job. You actually make the, make the, the social obligation of 
uh, ensuring that, that nobody falls below a certain level of income, it seems to me ought to be socially financed. That's something we're doing as a society, mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know what, we're, 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 we're saying we're doing it as a society, but we're just going to make you over there pay for it. I think it's better to mm -hmm. do these things collectively. Well, it's too bad that the government canceled the uh, basic, basic income, just to see what, if it worked. Unforgivable, you know, exactly. You know, what was the so, cost in actually running the experiment? Yeah. If it turned out to be a bad idea, at least we'd know. But oh, to, I but love to cut it off experiments. Without doing, well, there you go. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to move on because we're, we're ready at a time. <laughs> and now it's time for us to play Real or Fake. Every month when I do research for the show, I come across a story that makes me think this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And then I find a few more stories that are just as crazy. So what we're going to do is we're going to use some of these stories to play real or fake. I'm going to read a headline, and then I'm going to ask each panelist, and then I'll ask you, the audience, as well, if you think the story was real or fake. Any questions before we start? All right, so here we go. Kids were throwing snowballs at cars, and a driver retaliated by shooting them. Real or fake? Bane, what do you think? I hope it's real. <laughs> <laughs> Robert? It sadly sounds real, but uh, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't know. We'll make a choice. I'll, I'll say real. Okay, Andrew? It would be real if it were in Florida, but they wouldn't have the snowballs. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying fake. Okay, Linda? Look, all right, it was Gail. It's my sister. She has a potato gun. Sometimes she gets a little out of, you know, they thought that, uh, she thought that they were attacking her cats. So uh, I just apologize on behalf of my sister, Gail. Sometimes she gets out of hand. I can't say it. <laughs> so we just need real or fake from you, Linda? Oh, it was real. <laughs> okay. All right. I didn't see that it was real or fake. Real. Real. Fake. Real? Real. real. That is 100% real. It happened, I think, in Michigan. The kids are okay. They were shot, but they're okay. There was nothing life-threatening. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that is real. If you had shot in Michigan as a child, then you didn't live in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. It wasn't Michigan. But that, that story's from the Washington Post, January 7th. Okay, the next headline. Man dies after getting attacked by a rooster on the way to a cockfight. Real or fake? Linda, why don't we start with you? Oh, I got... <sighs> You know, I've had a lot of dreams, and I, I just hope that that one was real, because, you know, I've seen I've seen a cockfight, and uh, th those things get pretty messy. They get pretty, you know? I'm going to say that was real. Okay. Andrew? I'm going to go with real. Robert? I, I wish it were real, but I think it's fake. Okay. Bane? I think it's fake, and it was the title of my sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> the what? most downloaded. <laughs> I didn't you think it was real or fake. Thank. It is real. Wow. It is real. It oh. happened in India where where cockfighting is illegal, but a guy was taking his rooster to a cockfight <laughs> and it had a blade attached to it and something happened and the blade cut him and he ended up dying. This, you can look it up at the BBC January 15th. Okay, so that should be a lesson not to do cockfighting. Don't All right. bring a rooster to a cockfight. There you go. All right. <laughs> Police say a Florida woman tried to build a bomb inside a Walmart using items she didn't pay for. Real or fake? Bane. Done, done it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Linda. Oh, yeah, that's real for sure. That was actually, uh, that was again Gail. You know, she gets out of control, and I, I just, I, I, I try to calm it down, but that was her game. All right, Andrew. Um, real. <laughs> All right, Robert. Real. Real. That's Audience? Real. real. It is 100% real. Okay, that's uh, truly frightening that we could all know that was real. 
And she 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 got caught. She was observed by a, an off-duty police officer and I think a game warden, and she got arrested on, on the spot. So I think it was an off-duty game warden. I think so. Went in so, Florida. Yeah, went in Florida. All right. And our you last game. It's our last one. Our last headline, real or fake? Emotional support dog not supportive enough. A Wisconsin man sues a dog trainer for poor dog support. Real or fake? Bane. Oh, probably real, because in America, they'll sue you for anything. <laughs> Robert. I'm going to say fake. Fake? All right, Linda. Oh, I love dogs. You know, I got faith in every dog, no matter what kind of dog you are. So I got to say that's got to be fake, because I, I, I love them dogs. Andrew? Uh, real. Real. Audience? Fake. Real. 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 It is fake. Ah. Yes, that is 100% fake. And guess what, everybody? That is the end of the podcast. Wow. Yeah. Thank you all so much. Yes. I'd like to thank our panelists. It's here for Andrew Coyne, Robert Benzi, uh, Dana Sheeman as the fake Linda Berger, and Paul Constable as the not real Bane. Music for the panel show podcast was provided by the Jim Clayton Trio. I'm your host, David Shore. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the panel show podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to email in a possible topic or question for a panelist, you can do so at info at thepanelshow.com. That's info at thepanelshow.com. You can get info and free tickets for future tapings on our website, thepanelshow.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at The Panel Show Podcast or on Twitter at Panel Show Pod. If you are on the GTA, I will be hosting Monkey Toast on on Saturday, uh, March 7th, Monkey Toast Improvised Talk Show, and I'll be joined by special guests, former Much Music VJ Erica M., and former Premier of Ontario and interim leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, the Honorable Bob Ray, will be joining us. Uh, you can get tickets and info for that at monkeytoast.com. You can get all the information you want about Monkey Toast at uh, monkeytoast.com or MT Toronto on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. There we go, everyone. Another episode in the can. I'd like to thank Truss for recording the episode, Raj for editing it, and Luke for helping out on the night. Thanks, everyone. We hope you listen again.